Hello and welcome back to the pre-shift podcast presented by Seven Shifts. My name is DJ and I'll be your host bringing you stories, advice, and strategies from restaurant industry leader. In this episode, we're joined by Chef Eric Wong. My name is Eric Wong. I'm the chef owner of Pecking House, a fried chicken restaurant in Brooklyn. Eric was born into this industry. His parents owned a Chinese restaurant in Queens, New York, and he felt like it was where he belonged. He started cooking professionally in college in some of New York City's most prestigious restaurants, Cafe Balloud, Gramercy Tavern, and 11 Madison Park. When the pandemic forced restaurant shutdowns, Wong turned his uncle's Fresh Meadows restaurant, Pecking House, spelled P-E-K, into a fried chicken pop-up, also called Pecking House, spelled P-E-C-K. You know, we just were thinking about ways to, to do something and try to keep the lights on. So uh, I started frying chicken, delivering it around the city. And here we are. <laughs> I never really expected this to be a thing. I worked in fine dining for so long. I thought, I thought my career was always going to be in fine dining. And I'm not saying that I'm completely, you know, uh, that I'll never enter that world again. But for now, obviously, it's not something I'm, I'm terribly focused on. Um, but yeah, I was always, I always thought I was going to open a restaurant that was aspiring to have Michelin stars and Obviously, we view the entire system very differently now uh, after the pandemic. But uh, once I saw how meaningful this little fried chicken operation was to people, and I know it sounds cheesy, but for New Yorkers who were locked in their apartments, you know, which is exactly where we're not supposed to be, um, you know, having a meal that was special and tasty and delivered to you with care and hospitality, um, the feedback was incredible, you know, getting messages and emails about how much it meant to them, how much of a morale boost it was for them, how much they enjoyed it. Uh, so, you know, like I was saying, as cheesy as it sounds, it kind of gets you back to your roots of cooking where you're like, oh, yeah, cooking is about making people happy. It's about um, feeding people, nurturing people. Um, so once we really saw that how much of an impact this was on people and how fun it was and how rewarding it was, uh, we decided, you know, let's make this a real thing. Let's open a brick and mortar. Um, so yeah, that was probably about six months in, six, eight months in. During the process of opening the brick and mortar, Wong had the opportunity to start from scratch. He'd drawn his experience in fine dining, an all too common one of overwork and chasing perfection, and knew that he wanted to create a healthier work environment at Pecking House. Well, as we're all aware of now, especially in, in wake of certain TV shows like the, uh, like the bear and movies like the menu, uh, fine dining culture is pretty messed up. Uh, it's abusive. It's toxic. It's exploitative. Um, there's a lot of problems with it, but you know, if you rewind to 2009, or 2008, when I started cooking, um, it was heavily glorified and still is in a lot of places and was seen as the only really meaningful metric to measure your career by. Uh, in in gastronomy and this obsession with the chef celebrity and, 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 you know, the chef as God and artist and genius. So I worked in that for like 10 years and obviously it comes with a lot of exploitative practices and I talk about it uh, in posts and when I can, but, you know, my first, my first fine dining job in New York City, which was brutal. I mean, I was making $9 an hour and, you know, had managers look me in the face, be like, okay, it's time to go clock out and then get back to work. And like, you know, thinking about that now in 2023, that's crazy. You know, it's an immediate lawsuit. Uh, no one would ever do that. Um, and just the general intensity, which I craved in a lot of ways, you know, I think I wanted that, but just how abusive and unfair it was, you know, I've worked through many illnesses, many injuries, um, you know, just to name a few, I had a, you know, a heart condition when, 11 Madison Park, uh, one best restaurant in the world because it was so exacerbated by the stress. You know, when we won best restaurant in the world, I was in the hospital uh, with a cardiac, you know, a heart procedure at the age of 30. Um, 
I, I burned myself really badly on my arm uh, when we reopened and I worked through it with the second degree burn. And, you know, while being on opioids, I, I still continue to work despite I lied to my doctor, you know, about not working. Uh, so, you know, just the entire culture was pretty broken. And I, I think we're starting to see that now. So even though I did want to open a fine dining restaurant, I by no means wanted to turn it around and treat people the way I was treated. I think, you know, most people have some degree of a sense of empathy where, you know, you don't want to. Yeah, I mean, you know, non-sociopathic people, at least we hope, you know, like if you're if you're treated very poorly, you don't want to turn it around and, you know, dump it right back onto the people you lead. So, you know, the, the goal was always to do better, to, to have mentorship and, and empathy and compassion in what we did. Um, and, you know, obviously I'm not in fine dining anymore, but those are, you know, still pillars and tenets of what we try to do at Picking House. Wong wanted to do things differently. He was inspired by a chef residency that he did at Lord Stanley in San Francisco, where he saw the tip-sharing model in action. It's an endless debate that causes a lot of big emotions. Um, so, you know, for sure we wanted to treat people better. And, you know, there's both a practical and a human side to that. Obviously, I wanted to treat people better, pay people better, and just do the right thing and make sure people could survive because, you know, as we all know, the... New York and pretty much everywhere in, New York, in in this country is becoming more and more unlovable by the day. So paying someone minimum wage is just really not realistic. And yeah, there's a practical side to it too. Like, you know, we want people to stick around. We don't want to, you know, constantly be churning and turning people over, you know, just like it is it's designed that way in fine dining where you're supposed to have this constant influx of, <laughs> you know, for lack of a better term, naive, uh, to be indoctrinated young men usually. Um, so, you know, there's a practical side to it, too. But, like, you know, the, the elephant in the room being, like, you know, there's all these tips here. What do we do with them? And, you know, our service model is very low touch and it's very casual. And, you know, it's something that a high school student could do, uh, which we have. You know, we do hire high school students, you know, and it's a good job for them. And, you know, it, it's, it, it's, like, obviously, by traditional standards, they would get all these tips. And I'm not saying I don't want them to be paid well, but that would be a ridiculous amount of money for someone who's, um, you know, at an iPad and like doing low levels of service and does not have like a terrible amount of experience or training. So we just tried to figure out how to do it differently. I was very informed by an experience I had in California. I, I did a chef residency there and then, you know, we were getting crushed. It was hard. It was really, really busy. Um, and then midway through, like I'm seeing like, you know, all the cooks and hourly employees are pretty cheerful about it though, which was not the case in my career. You know, we were so salty about it getting crushed and like doing like 300 covers and like seeing zero, not even a penny more for it. Um, and I was like, what's going on here? And then I, I found out they're all tipped and I was like, Oh, well, even just from like, a, even if it's not a big portion of the tip pool, just the mentality of you're participating in the holistic success of the restaurant, you're getting some degree of reward for the amount of difficulty and stress you're going through. Like it's a huge mentality shift and I thought was really meaningful. So, um, we sought to figure out how to do that in New York. And unfortunately, New York is one of the few places in the country that makes it really, really difficult, as you can imagine. Um, so there's a lot of workarounds, and it really starts from the very beginning about how you design your restaurant, um, which, which is why, you know, I, I talk about this model, and I think it's really worked for us, and I really, really like it. I don't see a world where I would go back to doing it a traditional way, so to speak, but it is not something you can just retrofit onto a traditional restaurant by any means. So I am empathetic to that. It was that formative experience that helped create the service model at Pecking House. Counter service where the lines between front and back of house are intentionally blurred. 
so it's a counter service restaurant. You know, you go up to a counter. Uh, there's someone working in, you know, a terminal there. They'll take your order. You know, you tap to pay, use your credit card, whatever. And then uh, you grab a seat. There's no reservations. You know, whoever orders first sits first. Um, we'll bring you drinks. We'll bring you food. Um, we'll answer your questions. You know, we'll, we'll help clear your table. But that's really it. No one's coming to your table to take your order, uh, to talk to you, uh, you know, yeah, we, we obviously talk to our guests and we like it that, but like, you know, there's no heavily invested like server table relationship like there is in a traditional restaurant. And then, uh, for the most part, the kitchen runs your food and they help clear your table and they help set up your, the dining room and such like that. And the roles are purposely blended and, you know, made as maybe, I mean, I don't know what the right term is here, but I mean, perhaps, uh, ill-defined and breaking traditional front of house, back of house roles as much as possible to kind of foster a team culture and then make it clear that it's like no one person is responsible for this guest experience. Um, so that's that's a huge part of it. And, uh, you know, obviously there are, there are critics, there are people who don't like it, and there are people who don't think it deserves uh, any gratuity whatsoever. And obviously we're kind of a low pro- price point kind of restaurant, so there's there's that as well. Um, but some people really enjoy it. And for the most part, I think people in the hospitality industry really like it. Now, there is something to be said about tips. Unfortunately, we do flip the screen towards you, which you know, I get that comment all the time. Like, oh, how dare you flip a screen at me? I'm like, ah, sorry. Like, um, I wish you, if you have 20 minutes, I can explain to you why tipping is fucking stupid in this country and why it's not going anywhere. Uh but, uh, you know, we flip a window towards you. You don't have to tip. There's always the option to say none. And then there's a percentage breakdown. I can't remember exactly. I want to say 18, 20, 22% of your check. I don't have the numbers on me uh, exactly at hand. But I would say in general, we have like a tip average of like 17 to 18% on a $30 check average. Obviously, that means some people do tip. There's plenty of people that do not tip. We do not pressure you in any sort of way to tip other than flipping the screen around. Um, and then, yeah, they're pooled and divided across the entire team evenly. You know, there's no point system. And, um, you know, obviously, there's there's arguments to be made for and against that. But, you know, that's just how we do it. We keep it simple. And so far, it seems to be working and people are happy with it. Uh, I'm sure we will encounter more obstacles as we go on but for now i'm i'm happy with it hagen house does make it very clear to guests however that the tips are shared amongst the entire team we advertise broadly that we're an equitable tipping restaurant there's a sign right there in front of the register um you know all your tips are split amongst the entire team we appreciate any you know gratuity you want to add there's obviously no pressure and uh yeah with all our employees we make it very clear before they sign on like hey this is how it works and you know it's either for you or it's not but like you know this is how it works so you know i think everyone seems to be pretty okay with it but i'm sure you know there are always people who want to uh contest and be contrarian and and stir stir the pot so in a perfect world long wouldn't ask for tips at all but he recognizes that it's a systemic change that needs to happen in order for employees to be paid a living wage. There are many people, not myself, you know, and, you know, not just myself, uh, who have tried to eliminate tipping and who have tried to fix this broken system. It's not like 
you know, this is some sort of uh, extremely lucrative and fair system that like people are really ecstatic about. I mean, everybody, as you examine it, realizes it's a broken system with like centuries of problems attached to it. Um, but, you know, the way food works in this country and what people expect to pay for food, it, it's not like, oh, you can just eliminate tipping and then everything's okay. Um, you'd have to eliminate tipping and then raise all your menu prices. Uh, and then you'd have to try to explain to your customers, um, this is why my menu prices are higher. And we all know, uh, that's not how modern society works. People don't read the fine print. People don't take the time to understand the issue a lot of the time. Uh, I'm guilty of it as well. I'm not casting judgment on anyone. Um, so all they see is the sticker shock. They look at a menu and be like, holy shit. Like, you know, why is this like five, $10 more expensive than, you know, this place that's doing it two blocks away very similarly. And New York's an ultra competitive place. We're at ultra slim margins. So who's going to be the first person to do that? Who's going to be the first person to put that much risk? And there's already precedent for people trying it. You know, as I called it, titans of the industry, Shake Shack, Momofuku, USHG, who have tried this. And uh, it doesn't work. Um, everybody's walked it back. Everybody's, you know, I'm not trying to detract. I think that's it's amazing that they tried. And I think it's really bold. And I think it's really important. And I'm really glad they did it. So there's no judgment here, but like they walked it back because it doesn't make, you know, it didn't work. Nobody liked it. Staff didn't like it. Customers didn't like it. You know, money behind the restaurant didn't like it. Um, so that's kind of the real issue because yes, there are people who are trying to be bold and do the right thing and try to fix this broken system. But you know, they're, you're putting yourself at great risk doing that. Wong understands how hard it is to move on from tipping as the primary way that restaurant teams get paid been so ingrained in the system for so long and it's not for a lack of trying either i mean it's hard to point exactly to one or two things specifically but i mean this is how literally the entire restaurant industry in america has been built um and you know that's not something so easy to change that would be like trying to change the entire country to go to metric which we all know <laughs> like <laughs> yeah we've tried that and it doesn't fucking work um, so unfortunately, like that's how like the entire system is built. So it would require like an entire dismantling, uh, some sort of intensely federal regulation, which we can see we can get barely any federal regulation for anything, um, or enforcement, let alone enforcement. Um, so it's just, it's just baked into the system. I, I would say, you know, the, the two, I would say in my opinion, the biggest proponent is your average customer base. And that's not to shame any customers, but you know, myself included, like we have been accustomed to artificially cheap food in this country for centuries because, you know, the, the uncomfortable truth is that this entire industry was predicated upon uh, the disadvantaged minorities, uh, disenfranchised, uh, you know, communities, black immigrant, whatever, you know, like that's, you know, I grew up in a Chinese restaurant. Everybody expects Chinese food to be cheap, you know, and it's, you know, the uncomfortable truth there being that like it's cheap because you're paying for extremely cheap labor um, of immigrants who have no choice. So everybody's used to that. And so now trying to move the needle on it, you know, I could show you my Instagram inbox. It's, it's not easy. Uh, there's a lot of comments about how expensive it is and how difficult it is. And that's with tipping. Now, if I eliminated tipping and I still wanted to pay my staff the living wage, the wage that I do, everything would probably have to go up, you know, my approximation at least four or $5. At Pecking House, they're making strides in being able to provide better pay for the team. There are a few main ways they're able to do this. Their service model and attention to food costs. Um, I think the low-touch service model is a big one. 
Um, I think, you know, being smart about food usage is a big one. I mean, I think, you know, fine dining was, you know, obviously very important if you consider cooking to be an art form for, for advancing the art form, you know, being on the cutting edge of that, so to speak. But what it was, was like, you know, a huge abundance of labor and, and resources. Um, you know, the amount of food fine dining ways, I think, um, you know, is something I think we're only lightly aware of. I'm deeply aware of. So I think we're, we're very smart and tight about food management and, uh, all that, but yeah, the low touch service model is a huge part of it as well. What makes it work for us is that we're like a counter service restaurant where, you know, the kitchen is open and they're involved in service and such. Um, you know, you can't just change the way a restaurant <laughs> is laid out like overnight. And even if you did, it's like all of a sudden completely changing how everything works. Wong is putting in the work at Peking House to move the hospitality industry forward, away from tipping and towards more equitable wages for staff. It's a far cry from the restaurants he cut his teeth cooking in. But now that he's on the other side, there's no looking back. It is a job. We're providing a living for people. And that, that kind of shifts how you approach it. You want people to have, uh, obviously, a livable wage. You want to treat them well. And you want to create a culture where, like, yeah, there, there are standards and there's a pursuit of excellence. But, like, you know, not at the expense of your, your humanity, um, which is how so much of fine dining was run and still is forever and ever. Um, it's that the standards come before anything going on with yourself. Uh, so I think it seems to be working. The retention's quite good. People seem to be pretty, pretty happy with it. Obviously we're hiring a very different kind of cook than the one I'm used to working for. Um, you know, there is this kind of like weird, I wouldn't say weird, but at least for the first time in my career where there's uh, maybe the, the contentious aspects of socialism slash communism where <laughs> you're, uh, Everybody is sharing equally in, 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 in the means of production and the rewards of production. Um, and so, you know, if there are people who are not carrying their weight, there is definitely some different kinds of frustration with that. Uh, so maybe it changes the way we manage things and, and you know, how we, how we uh, lay out expectations for people. But, you know, that's still part of the learning process. But overall, I would say I've, it, it's it's a lot better, and I've, I've really enjoyed it, and it seems people are happy and are, you know, as, as happy as people are. <laughs> um, can be working working your ass off in New York. Uh, so, you know, I couldn't really picture going back to doing it a different way or the old way. Thank you for joining us for the pre-shipped podcast presented by Seven Shifts. Be sure to follow us on social media for new episodes and bonus content. And as always, my inbox is open, dj at sevenshifts.com. Let me know what you think of the show, who you want to hear, or just say hello. We'll see you next time.